God can change hearts through prayer, and he can change this region through prayer. And this is one of many reasons that we need to be faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, Romans 12, 12. At the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, a movie is out that talks about some of the implications. What does that movie have to do with this very important anniversary? Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're talking with Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem. We're going to talk about that very issue. But Joel, I know we want to talk about something right up front here before we even get to the Yom Kippur anniversary uh, and the movie Golda. That's very important for us to update our listeners. That's right. In one of our recent podcasts, we talked about a lot of harassment and troubles and even physical and verbal attacks against Christians here in Israel, particularly in Jerusalem. We also talked about the Ministry of Interior here in Israel, which had seemed to turn against evangelicals over the last several years, and particularly this past year, where they kept denying uh, clergy visas for three Christian Zionist organizations that are true friends of the nation of Israel and uh, true blessing to the nation and people of Israel and uh, helping Jews make Aliyah here and getting the word out about Israel and et cetera, et cetera. And, and we were like, what's going on? Why would the Ministry of Interior start denying all these clergy visas? And all Israel news, we we did a big story, a series of stories. I, I talked about it on this podcast with you. We talked about it on the Rosenberg Report and we mobilized people, please pray. This doesn't make sense, and it doesn't seem to fit with Prime Minister Netanyahu's love for Christians. Right. Well, I want to report real quickly before we get into the drama of, I'm not sure if you fully captured the drama, by the way, in that opener of the Yom Kippur War, how close Israel came to getting wiped off the planet and mm. maybe nuclear weapons. But uh, I want to update us all that just a few days ago, all Israel news was able to break the news that the Ministry of Interior has apologized to these Christian Zionist organizations, had a personal meeting with everybody, apologized profusely, reinstated all the clergy visas, and said that they, you know, the, you know, how can we work to make sure the, something like this doesn't happen again? So, uh, a big success. The, the Christian groups did not have to go to court, as we talked about in that previous podcast, that they they were preparing to do because it was a written agreement. We can get more into that in a future podcast, yeah. but I just. We didn't want, I didn't want to leave that, and I know you didn't uh, leave that impression that it was still a problem. We thought it might take longer, but this is one of the powers of uh, the power of prayer, but also the, the, the importance of Christian journalism and podcasting and Rosenberg Report and all Israel News and all of it, because it, it educates people to know what to pray for, and then God answers these prayers. And this, yeah. this went faster than we expected. After two years of it not working, all the behind-the-scenes efforts, uh, a few weeks of publicity and more prayer from around the world, God moved. So I'm encouraged by that. And I think our, I hope our listeners will be encouraged and we'll go into more depth and expand the aperture on that one. In yeah. Upcoming podcast. Yeah, completely. And I, I just want to say again, it's so great to know that when we pray, God answers. And, uh, and that's an example right there of how God is moving. But Joel, let's talk about this 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. And for many of our listeners, again, especially those who are younger than you and I, uh, they may never have uh, understood, you know, what the significance of the Yom Kippur War is, 
uh, continues to be and uh, what it can tell us about where we are right now. So, Joel, maybe you can talk about the importance of the Yom Kippur War in Israeli history. Sure. Well, let's start with that strange expression. If Some people may not be familiar with it. Yom Kippur. Yom in Hebrew means day. And I don't know what Kippur means. No, it means atonement. And it's a covering. It's a covering. Like a kippah is a covering. And Kippur mm-hmm. is, an, is a covering. So it's a day of covering or atonement where Jews historically in Bible times had to bring an actual animal sacrifice to the temple to have the priest slaughter it and the blood would the spilt blood would be the atonement as long as it was true that the person giving the offering really was repentant right it wasn't just right. killing the the lamb or the bull or the goat or whatever you had to actually be repentant you had to have faith but if you did that's how your sins were forgiven and you did it once a year before the high priest um, at the temple here in Jerusalem of course Jews don't have that temple and haven't had one for 2,000 years. That's a show we need to do. How do Jews get covering for their sins if there's no temple? And of course, the answer is the death and resurrection of Jesus as the Messiah's uh, sacrifice, the one time for all. He is our Passover lamb. There is no other way than Jesus. Why is that important in the context of this war? Because Egypt in the south and Syria in the north, devoted enemies of Israel who attacked Israel in 1948, tried to destroy, you know, uh, you know, smother the baby Israel as it was being born in, you know, in the cradle, as it were. Yeah. Then the war in 56, then the war in 67. Now it's 1973 comes along, October 6th, 1973, and Egypt and Syria, their, their leaders are seething. Their populations are th- seething. We have gone to war three times and we cannot wipe this Jewish state off the planet, off the map. We're going to try again. What's the best way to do it? The leaders of Egypt and Syria said the way to do it is to attack them when they're not paying attention, when they're all fasting, no water, no liquid, no food, no radio, no television. They're just in the synagogues or at their homes fasting and praying for their sins. They will not be paying attention. And that's the day that then Egyptian president Anwar Sadat decided to launch, and he he pulled in the, the Syrians to be part of this two-pronged attack, and it really did catch Israelis off guard. And and the movie, I, you know, I do hope people will see it. Um, it hasn't done so great, but I will say it probably out soon on, you know, some sort of, you know, Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or whatever. Right. Watch it. It's really well done. It's not the greatest movie you'll ever see, but it... <laughs> This is such an important inflection moment because yeah. Israel was almost wiped out this time, and they were so filled with hubris and pride that they'd done so great in defeating their enemies in 67 and 48 and 56 that they didn't even think they were vulnerable. Yeah. You know, as my father used to say when we were playing chess together when I, when I was a kid, pride goeth before fall, right? <laughs> that famous proverb. And yes. uh, Israel almost was yeah. wiped out in October of 1973, 50 years so, ago this month. Yeah, so this was a surprise, a sneak attack, if you will. You know, this is Absolutely. this was this something that Pearl was- Harbor. This was 9-11. Yeah, and and I think I think that's an important component of this. It's not just a, you know, uh, in, in so many people's minds now, you know, like with the Russian in Ukra- invasion of Ukraine, it built up for a long time and everybody knew it was coming. And in this case- it was a sneak attack on the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Well, you just drew an interesting parallel 
actually, there were so many Russian forces surrounding Ukraine, but actually most Ukrainians didn't think that he was going to invade. Most, I was in Estonia, which is right next door, or a couple, couple countries, small countries away. They didn't think it was going to happen. And I was saying, it's going to happen. I know uh, Ukrainian and Russian Jewish followers of Jesus and who, people who are not followers of Jesus who are Israelis now, but they grew up in Ukraine or Russia. They told their children, no, no, no. Putin is just threatening. He's not going to do it. So the reason that's important is because there were huge military exercises going on, not only in Egypt, but Egypt then sent military forces across the Nile River into mm. the Sinai. Now, based on the 1967 war, which Israel won in six days, and on the seventh day they rested, that ceasefire, that disengagement meant that the, the, the uh, Egyptians were not supposed to be sending you know, massive Oops. amounts of military forces across the river. And as they started to do it, that should have been the signal why else would they do it? But, you know, sometimes when you are sure that something isn't going to happen, you take the same data and you tell yourself, no, that's not what it means. What Golda My Ear and her advisors were telling each other, this is true, and it, and it comes out fairly well in the film, but they're not going to do it. They're just trying to get us to mobilize our military forces here in Israel because it's a volunteer army mostly. I mean, not volunteer, but it, I mean, it's a reserve army. Mm-hmm. You don't have the money or the manpower to have you know, 300,000 troops on standby at every, you know, like the United States has, you know, I don't know, I'm 2 million soldiers or whatever, uh, airmen, Marines, whatever. But my point is that's a standing army can be deployed at any moment. The Israelis have a very small regular army and a huge reserve force, but the reserves have to be ordered to show up, suit up. And that's a very expensive process. And and so yeah. the Israeli leadership under Golda Meir, the first woman prime minister in the history of Israel, and by the way, still the only woman ever to serve as prime minister here, she was getting conflicting advice Mm -hmm. from her generals and from her defense minister and other advisors. And they were telling her, no, this is just designed to make us spend a lot of money we don't have. So don't get fooled by it. Well, I mean, it's going to be fascinating. We're going to get back to this in a second uh, after we take a quick break here. But we want to come back and we do want to look at the lessons that this movie can help people today understand about being prepared and understanding the threats that continue to face Israel today. So, Joel, we're going to take a quick break here, and then uh, we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, 
and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Our prayer requests today are number one, pray for Israel that the peace of God will reign in Israel. And second, to pray for leaders of the nation of Israel that they would be willing and able to make the right decisions to protect Israel. Well, Joel, we're back and again, uh, talking about the movie Golda and the significance of the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. What would you say is uh, the underlying message of the movie about Israel's preparation and being prepared for conflict like sneak attacks from Egypt and Syria? I think the first and most important lesson, Carl, comes from the passage that you just read out of Second Chronicles 7.14, which is the Israeli government and the Israeli people should never be looking to ourselves for our protection. We, we have to be looking to God. God takes the nation of Israel very, very seriously, and he does it all the way through the Bible. Just because we are the chosen people doesn't mean we win every battle. Joshua won the battle of Jericho when the nation of Israel crossed the Jordan and entered, but he lost the next battle in Ai. Why? Because there was sin in the camp, yeah. right? And so just because you're Israel, God's like big whoop. In fact, you're supposed to be listening to me and trusting me to defend you, especially because you're Israel. You're not a normal country. So that's the first thing. And Israel had been so proud of itself. The leadership was so proud after winning in 67, giving themselves more credit than God's supernatural protection. Obviously, it took brave men and women to defend the country, but this was God's doing. And that had been all forgotten. And of course, the country doesn't really follow the Lord. And the only way to have the peace of God in your in your country is to know the Prince of Peace, and that is Yeshua. That's Jesus. And so if you don't know him, you can have a hard time experiencing God's peace. So that's the first lesson. We got to be looking to God above all. And if God sends his son and he's the Messiah, then if we ignore that, we're going to have trouble in this life. Okay. We have trouble in this life anyway. The question is, do you want God with you or against you? And so that's the first thing. The second thing is just practical matter of national security. You have to be always vigilant. You know, uh, Israelis forgot the first principle of the Boy Scouts. Be prepared. And, you know, it's in the, it's actually worse than that, uh, Carl, because if you if you I've really drilled into the history and I've met with a lot of I met with I actually sat in the home, Carl. Uh, the first delegation of evangelicals I ever led was to Egypt. And we sat with President el-Sisi, who was their top military commander. But he was not in that, you know, not in the 73 campaign because he was right. too young. And, and but to sit for three hours with the president of the country. And then he said, you know, you're going to see the widow of Anwar Sadat. Right. I'm like, no. And we. Didn't even know that there was a thing, a possibility. He goes, absolutely. He tells his staff, get Mrs. Sadat on the phone and send them over there for tea. So we went to the home of Anwar Sadat. Obviously, he was assassinated tragically in 1981. But we met with his widow. And this is the very living room, the very home where the 1973 Yom Kippur War was plotted. And the same living room where we're having tea with her, where he plotted the 1977 visit to Israel to extend his hand for peace and say, all right, let's make peace and set into motion what became known as the Camp David Accords in 1979 that was the first Arab-Israeli peace treaty in history, certainly in modern history. So it was so interesting. But but to sit there, you, you realize people are plotting to destroy Israel. They were in 73. 
They are now. Iran is plotting, although I, I don't want to get partisan, but I have to say, as you and I record this, President Biden has just given $6 billion to the Iranian regime. I don't want to go further on that, but but there's a there's a blindness to the threats that are building against Israel. And we've got to always stay vigilant. And we as followers of Jesus have to keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Spiritual peace, absolutely, first and foremost, but geopolitical peace also. And thank God for the Abraham Accords. Wonderful. May they expand. May Saudi Arabia join them. But Iran and her proxies, Hezbollah, Hamas, Hamas, the Houthis, any terror group with the word, the letter H at the beginning of their, (laughs) they're dangerous and they're plotting things every single day. Yeah. That's just the big boys. Then you've got lots of smaller terror groups too. So those are the two things. Look to God and depend totally on him and always be vigilant, always be prepared. Yeah. It seems to me that there's a lot of parallels here between what Israel was looking and feeling like in 73, 50 years ago, and what they're feeling and thinking about uh, now in, in 23, that that there may be, uh, you know, you've mentioned this uh, this pride and sort of security that their Iron Dome and their various other military successes have given this sort of rise. That was the case certainly in 73, and they weren't prepared uh, that way, but they had to make some hard choices during the course of that very intense response to the sneak attacks. Uh, what kinds of hard choices do you think Israelis need to be prepared to make now, uh, I guess, the leaders uh, when they look at the current geopolitical situation? That's a great uh, question and, and great way that you frame that, Carl. Let me just make two points, I think. The first point is to go back to 73. What was the hardest choice they had to make once the war started? Gold of my year, actually, I have to say, really deserves a lot of criticism for she and her senior inner circle. They missed all the signals. And by the way, as I point out on the Rosenberg report, when I did a whole segment on this a couple of weeks ago, there was actually an Israeli mole inside Sadat's inner circle. Wow. The son-in-law of Gamal Abdel Nasser, the previous dictator that wanted to wipe Israel off the map and throw the Jews into the sea. That son-in-law had gotten so uh, disrespected, he felt, Sadat, that he contacted the Mossad in London and said, I'm willing to give you secrets. And so as they built trust with him, he began providing secrets and ultimately warned the Mossad, Israel's secret services, uh, that the war was coming with exact plans, details, and dates. They didn't listen. <laughs> so that was bad, too. Yeah. They thought it was misinformation. They didn't take it seriously. So Gold in My Ear deserves a lot of criticism, unfortunately. I mean, not unfortunately. Anyway, it just it is what it is by missing it. Once the war started, she did a brilliant job. She was incredibly tough, I, I will say. Uh, there's a famous Seinfeld line that they're all joking about who's the ugliest you know, world leader. And they're like, De Gaulle, Lyndon Johnson. And then Elaine says, no, uh, Gold in My Ear could make them all run up a tree. Look, she was not the most attractive <laughs> Uh, woman in the, the in the country of Israel, but she was one of the toughest, maybe the toughest. And and so she rallied the country and rallied the military forces to get back into the fight and not give up. And she was advised by her defense minister, the famed Moshe Dayan, the one with the eye patch. Yes. Uh, he'd once been shot in the eye and still lived and went on to be a great hero. But he was petrified and he said, Golda, we have to prepare to use our nuclear weapons wow. to destroy the enemy and win. Otherwise, we're going to lose. And there was a huge fight. I criticized the new movie because it slightly mentions this, but doesn't show the scene, which was so dramatic. But that was probably the tough choice that Golda Meir had to make. I'll say there's one more tough choice she had to make then that we'll talk about now. And that is that she had to stare down Henry Kissinger. This is yeah. a this is a tension that's shown in the film. 
and played very well um, by Liev Schreiber, who plays Henry mm-hmm. Kissinger, who is really trying to pressure Goldemeyer into making, in my view, dangerous and premature concessions to an enemy mm-hmm. hell-bent on destroying Israel. Um, she wanted to keep fighting and, and force Sadat to make concessions, including recognizing the state of Israel. And so she had to stand up as the leader of a little small endangered country to the world's biggest superpower. Not easy to do. And uh, again, she may not have been a, uh, you know, a supermodel, but she was tough. <laughs> and I think that that's, that, you know, right. Where the Bible says charm, you know, beauty is deceitful, charm is vain, but, yeah. but, you know, I don't know if she feared the Lord, but she certainly sent the fear of the Lord into other people. So, <laughs> so that's, that's, um, Wow. That's a, but what now, about now today, today? Yeah. Yeah. What about so today? So today I would say this. We haven't spent a lot of time on this podcast, but there's a massive judicial reform debate. And there are, you know, roughly 40 weeks of hundreds of thousands of Israelis turning on the streets, protesting Netanyahu and the whole thing. Why is that happening? Well, I'm not getting into the policy details, but the Israelis are turning on each other. Why? Because they feel safe. When Israelis have an external enemy, it focuses our attention and we stop paying attention to all of our internal divisions, and we right. focus on how to you know, defend ourselves against the external threat. That is in the historic case with the Jews. I think that it's a, it's a sign. I don't hear many people talking about it, but it's a sign of how comfortable Israelis feel as, as a regional superpower with now six Arab-Israeli peace treaties. Yeah, 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 Iran's out there, the Hezbollah, Hamas, I, we all get it. They all hate us. They're going to kill us. But right now, but people are turning on each other. So mm. I think the number one thing practically speaking, is that we need a unity government. Hmm. Like the polls are starting to show, even the opposition polls, even inside Netanyahu's own party, which is called the Likud party, the the numbers are rising that people are like, look, right now we need to come together. All this division is is dangerous internally and can leave lasting scars, but it's also dangerous externally as, you know, I mean, President Biden is using it to, at least as we record this, he, after nine months, he still hasn't invited Prime Minister Netanyahu to come to the White House and talk about how to stop Iran or make peace with Saudi Arabia or like Netanyahu still hasn't been invited. Now, maybe by the time this will run, maybe that will have changed, but nine full months. Why? Biden is saying that it's because of all these uh, internal divisions. Well, yeah. you know, America's got a few internal divisions too, I, I, I observe. So, <laughs> Anyway, the point here is Israelis are starting to think, you know what? It's not that we agree with every person on the political spectrum, but this is a time to come together and to find common solutions. I, I agree with that. And um, I think it's better to get a national unity government and start solving some problems today and dial down the the furor yeah. in the streets than to catch ourselves off guard when an enemy starts to move and attack and we're divided amongst ourselves. A famous line from Abraham Lincoln, right? A house divided cannot stand. He didn't say it. Jesus said it, but we most, most people know it because of Abraham Lincoln. I always get a kick out of that when I'm in the Denver airport and I see this big poster of Abraham Lincoln saying what Jesus said. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's, uh, gets a lot of credit for things Jesus said. Lots of people get credit for it, but Jesus is the one who said these things. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Joel, this is an important film then, at least to help Israel today understand what the threats are that remain out there. And even when Israelis today may feel comfortable enough to, uh, to go to the streets and have internal protests, the external threats still remain and are truly right at our doorstep, right at Israel's doorstep, your doorstep, literally uh, just outside the back of your house. So, uh, Joel, in, in conclusion, uh, how would we draw our thoughts around this? 
And what can we learn and what can we uh, do to, to really understand how to respond and pray better about where Israel sits right now in light of this uh, 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War? Well, Carl, to me, what's the most exciting takeaway from the Yom Kippur War is that it led to peace. Hmm. Christians have been praying, millions and millions of Christians all over the world, praying for the peace of Jerusalem because King David commanded it of us. And of course, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And, you know, the psalmist said, seek peace and pursue it. And Paul tells us to, you know, as much as is possible within us to make peace with our, you know, with our neighbors. So Christians are commanded to focus on peace. And I think that's important. And, and what many Christians forget, because they don't know the history of the epicenter, is those millions of people praying, first of all, stopped these Egyptian Syrian invasion in its tracks. Mm. Golda Meir and her team weren't praying in the name of Jesus and therefore having the power of God with them, but the Christians were interceding on their behalf. Yeah. The soldiers, they, I'm sure they were praying, but with, but if you're praying and you're not praying in the name of God's son, unless it's a prayer of salvation, right? You, you, they're not, God's not paying attention to prayers of people he doesn't know. And that's why we need to know God personally through Jesus. But the intercession of millions of people Christians who love Jesus and were praying helped, and it helped stop a nuclear war. But the third point is it changed the heart over the next few years of Anwar Sadat from saying, I want to destroy Israel to, you know what, if you can't beat him, let's join him. And having the courage, the courage to, in that same living room where I sat and our delegation sat, and I had two of my sons who've served in the Israeli Defense Forces with me, Jacob and Jonah, there we were hearing the story of Mrs. Sadat Telling Jihan Sadat, telling us how his her husband made this fundamental transformation that we can hardly believe to this day, and how he actually went to Jerusalem and he reached out his hand. The Israelis preparing for that plane to land in, 19, in September 1977, so weren't sure if Sadat was really coming at all, much less to make peace. They had snipers ready because they thought maybe commandos are going to come out of this yeah. door and try to kill us all, like or the plane will blow up or what, but. Sadat gave a speech in the Knesset, and he reached out his hand for peace. It still took several years, but he changed the dynamic, and he lost his life for it. He was assassinated on October 6th, mm-hmm. uh, the, the anniversary in 1981. He was reviewing a military parade, celebrating what they call, they don't call it the Yom Kippur War in Egypt. They call it the Great October War, and military people came by, and suddenly military members members of the armed forces that were actually secretly Muslim brotherhood, uh, Islamic radicals, Islamist radicals jumped out and started firing machine guns. Mrs. Sadat was sitting right there. She tells the story and you can find it in enemies and allies. But Mm. bottom line is God can change hearts. And I, I, you know, I feel terrible for that family. And now she's uh, passed away recently, but God can change hearts through prayer and he can change this region through prayer and this is one of many reasons, but uh, that we need to be faithful in prayer, uh, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, yes, faithful in prayer. Romans twelve twelve. Wow. Well, Joel, there's so much more we could say on this, uh, and uh, that's a great place for us to end and to know that prayer is uh, the final uh, and most powerful. Uh, weapon in our arsenal, and uh, it's so great to get your perspective on on not just the history. Uh, geopolitically, but biblically, and understanding the interrelationship between these things. That's what's so great about you meeting with us on this podcast uh, from Jerusalem all the time. You're right there in the epicenter, 
And, and uh, I will be in Egypt, actually, um, on the week of Yom Kippur. So oh, when I wow. get back, uh, uh, we can talk about my, Lord willing, my experiences there. Well, that'll be something I'm sure our listeners will want to tap into that as well. Um, so, Joel, thank you. And to our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, visit our website at joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what God is doing in the Middle East to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, and how you can participate in the healing work that we're doing in this critical region. And as always, check out our show notes for anything you heard on this podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Epicenter. Hi, this is Joel Rosenberg, founder and chairman of the Joshua Fund, and I've got exciting news. In 2023, I'm inviting you on behalf of our entire board and staff to come to the Holy Land, to come to Israel on the next prayer and vision tour. This is the 75th anniversary of the prophetic rebirth of the modern state of Israel back in 1948. And what is God doing here? It's amazing, spiritually, economically, in so many ways. There's been so much growth, so much progress, but the best is yet to come. And we want you to see it. We want you to walk where Jesus walked. We want you to see where the apostles ministered. We want you to see where people's lives were transformed by the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We want you to see this city where Jesus died and rose again and where he's coming back, I hope soon. But in the meantime, come to Israel with the Joshua Fund. You can learn more about the trip, the itinerary, the cost, all the details at joshuafund.com. But sign up quickly because I think this thing is going to fill up fast. The Prayer and Vision Tour of Israel in the fall of 2023. I hope to see you there. The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.